John chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 6. We will, our passage will bring us through verse 13 this evening. Title of the message, but as many as received him. To we whom it can be said that we have accepted the truth of the gospel, the realities of the truth of God's word become almost second nature. When we look at a newspaper, when we talk to a friend, when we drive past that billboard, when we watch the evening news, whatever the case may be, we perceive the world in which we live in light of the truth that we have received, in light of the truth that we have assimilated into our lives. If I may put it this way, we have been given a new worldview, and we see all life through the lenses of those glasses that are tinted with a biblical perspective. I suppose as a believer, one of the most difficult things for us, or for me in particular, let me speak for myself and not for everyone this evening, is to place myself into the mind of an unbeliever and to perceive the world in the same way that they would perceive the world. Even as I was speaking to you tonight of the young lady that I had the opportunity to speak of as she was telling me of her troubles, as she was telling me of the ways in which she has pursued solving those troubles, the way in which the state of Minnesota has attempted to help her solve her problems, help her meet her needs, not just physically but mentally and emotionally. It's so difficult to sit and listen to somebody and to know how wrong they're being directed, but to not be able to, in the short amount of time you have with them, give them everything they need to be able to correct themselves, except to be able to give them the Word of God and trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest of the work, um, until such time as I might be able to speak to her some more and give her some more particular guidance. But you know, it's very difficult sometimes to see life the way they see it, to see people ruin their lives through pursuing vain pleasures or ruin their lives through getting themselves into debt and to try and think about how these vain pleasures and these debts and these things that they are pursuing are really just an outgrowing of what society is telling them is right and normal and good. As we walk through the book of John, we're going to be confronted with the mind of the unbeliever. I don't know if you've ever thought about the book of John in such a way before. I never had before I started an in-depth study. I, I, I thought of the book of John as the gospel, as the account of Jesus Christ, but as we look into the book of John, what we are going to see so much of as we continue in this series is the mind of the unbeliever. We read it this morning in John 12, did we not? The first verse we read was, and though they had seen many miracles, yet they believed not on him, or something to that effect, right? Though they had seen many miracles, miracles, though they had seen the loaves and the fishes transformed into a banquet, though they had seen men healed of diseases, though they had seen the miracles, they believed not. Can you understand that? See, in order to understand that, we have to put ourselves into the mind of the unbeliever. Because the believer sees those things and believes. The unbeliever sees those things and refuses to believe. We're going to be confronted with these, by and large, 
a large portion of the world, those who have been touched by the truth, but have chosen to ignore the truth in a very real way. For many of us, this is a concept we cannot even hope to understand. We probably don't even want to understand because we are born again. Our minds have been renewed. Many of us have been born again at a very young age. Therefore, we cannot even understand what it was to think as an unbeliever. Few of us in this room perhaps were saved later in life and you can think back and say, yeah, I do remember the thought process. I do remember how it was as an unbeliever. I could look at these things and say, yes. But many of us cannot. I cannot. I was saved at a young age. I cannot fully place myself into the mind of the unbeliever. But the book of John is going to try to help us at least understand if we can't understand fully the unbeliever and his thought process, we can at least understand what's going on with the unbeliever's unbelief. In terms of today's sermon, we are going to begin an introduction to the gospel, the formal gospel as we would call it, but we're also going to be introduced to the world that has rejected it. So this evening, please look with me at the threefold reality of the gospel expressed through the divine purpose of the word. We were introduced to the word of God last week. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We're memorizing that passage. We are understanding who the Word of God is. Understanding that His purpose was to come into the world to bring light. And then, of course, that He might save us from our sins. So let's understand the Gospel as, as it is expressed through this divine purpose this evening. Look with me, if you would, in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The threefold reality of the gospel as expressed in these verses through the divine purpose of the word. Look with me in verses 6 through 9 at the first reality. God has revealed himself to all men. God has revealed himself to all men. Verse 6 begins by saying, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John was sent as a witness to or of the word, of the light, the light which is the life of men. He was sent to bear witness. He was sent to be a testimony. He was sent to announce that this was indeed the Messiah, was indeed the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, was indeed the Son of God, was indeed God in flesh. The text makes it very clear, very quickly, that John was not that light, but was sent to be a witness, to bear witness of the light. Verse 6 tells us he was a man sent from God. It's important here to understand when we look at there was a man, we look back at verse 1 and it says, In the beginning was the Word. Those are two different words in the Greek language. The was in verse 6 is the word that means to beget or to cause to be. 
John became. He, he came into being. He was born. He was created. John was a man who was created. He had a definite beginning like any other man. But if you recall back when we look at verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word there is simply the verb to be. It makes no statement of creation. It makes no statement of beginning. Why? Because there was no beginning. There was no creation. The Word was in the beginning. He was God. He is God. He was with God. And so immediately we see a contrast between verse 1 and verse 6. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. He was there to be. And then in verse 6, there was, there became, there begat, there was born, there was created a man. There became, came into being a man whose name was John. Immediately we see John was not eternal. John was not ever existent. The Word was eternal, is eternal, is ever existent. John is immediately presented as inferior, inferior to the Word. Inferior to Jesus Christ. Thus, in this eternity, we see that John was not the eternal God. The Word is the eternal God. John was not the light. The Word was the light. John's purpose was rooted in his attempt, in his purpose of pointing others to the light. So that when the light came, when the light shined, when the light, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, when His ministry began, men would recognize it. However, as we are being introduced to John, we recognize that the focus is still on the Word of God. He came to bear witness of the light, verse 7, that all men through Him might believe. Believe on what? Believe on Christ. He was not the light. He was sent to bear witness of the light. Notice verse 9. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The that there being the Word. We know that as we look back at verse 4. In Him who the Word was life, and the life was the light of men. That was the true light. See, we're still talking about the Word. We had John mentioned, but John will never be actually introduced in the book of John. John the Baptist will never be reintroduced in the book that was written by John the Evangelist. See, the Gospel of John doesn't care who John the Baptist is, except that he was there to shine, to prepare for the shining of the light of the Gospel. If you cross-reference with the other synoptics, you can learn more about John, particularly the book of Luke introduces us to the man John. But the purpose in the book of John is not at all to shine any light on the ministry of John the Baptist. It is entirely to show only those ways in which John the Baptist pointed to the ministry of the Word. That is the focus of the book. The Word was the true light. The Word was not just a bearer of the light. The Word was not just a prophet of the light. The Word was not just a part of the light. The Word was the true light. Jesus Christ is truth. He is light. If there is any light in this world, it comes as people brush up with the truths found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And while we will see in a moment the reality of this light entering into the world, what the Gospel writer wants us to understand, first of all, is that the Word will bear the same light 
into the world that has shone upon every man in every generation since the beginning of creation. That is why it's called the light. Because man has always had light. The word came as the light. The light that man has always had, the truth that man has always possessed, has been a reflection of the word. God has always revealed himself to man. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The very heavens declare God's glory. The light of God is seen simply in his creation. Romans 1 verses 19 and 20 explains this. It says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, the conscience, for God has shown it to them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All men are without excuse before God because the light has been manifested in the world through creation. What light? The light that emanates from Jesus Christ, who is the true light. Romans 2.15 tells us that every man's conscience shows the work of the law written in their hearts, the conscience bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So man's conscience bears witness of the light of God. Creation bears witness of the light of God. And the Holy Scriptures all throughout history since God gave them, beginning with Moses, has borne witness to the light of God. So every man knows of God. Every bit of revelation any man has ever received concerning God has been sourced in the word of God, has been sourced in the second person of the Trinity. That's the assertion of verses 6 through 9. That Jesus Christ, the word of God, is the true light. He is truth. And that that true light has illuminated every man already. As if that were not enough. Verse 10 will introduce us to another marvelous truth. We'll get there in a moment. What we understand immediately then is that every single person in this room is responsible before God for the truth of God's word. To the degree to which you've heard it, which is quite a bit for every person in this room, we're all responsible before God. That's a great responsibility that we have. We'll continue and bear out these thoughts as we move on. Verse 10 tells us something pretty amazing. He was in the world. We consider the incarnation that when Jesus Christ became flesh, the light, the truth came into this world. It was no longer just a reflection of the truth. It was no longer just the fingerprints of God on creation. No longer just the fingerprints of God on our conscience. The truth of God entered into the world. Not only had man received light from these sources, but the light himself, the word of God, was in the world. And in our human understanding, we can understand the direction that this account is taking us. How could anyone not believe? Jesus Christ comes into the world, the second person of the Trinity, God in flesh, the light of the world, all that is truth, the very word of God. 
the declaration of God to man. How could anybody not believe on Jesus Christ? Let's look at verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Our second point this evening. First point, God has revealed himself to all men. Second point, men reject God's revelation in pride. Men reject God's revelation in pride. How could it be that the light would come into the world, that the light would shine in a dark world, and the world would not know him? We've already read from Romans 1 this evening. Verses 19 and 20. Let's continue in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. The world knew God, but the world refused to give Him glory as God. The world refused to accept the message of God. And so God allowed their foolish hearts to be darkened. Literally, the light that shined upon them was refused. The light shined into the darkness, verse 5 said, and the darkness comprehended it not, apprehended it not. The darkness did not accept the light that shined into it. The light that Jesus Christ came to deliver was the light of the truth of God's word, that men are sinners, that mankind cannot save himself, that mankind has fallen short of God's glory, that mankind has been severed from his relationship with God, that we're sinners, that sinners cannot abide before a holy God, that because God is holy, Sinful mankind is condemned. That's the truth that God brought into this world through Jesus Christ. But you see, man doesn't like that. Nobody likes to hear it. Nobody likes to hear that they're sinners. Nobody likes to hear that they're condemned to an eternity in hell because of their sin. So what does the darkness do? They perpetuate their darkness. Have you ever been in a dark room, maybe waking up in the morning, it's already light outside, somebody comes into the room and says, hey, time to wake up, and they throw open the blinds, and what do you do? No! Right? No! You cover your eyes, you don't want to see it. Why? Because it's bright. Because when you have that light hit you and it's been dark, It hurts a little bit. You don't want it. You don't want the light. You were happy in your darkness. You were happy to lay in bed. You don't want to face the day. The light came into the world. And the darkness went like this. And they covered their eyes. So that the light wouldn't be seen by them. They covered their hearts in pride. They said, I don't want to accept the truth of God's word. 
Because if I have to accept it, I have to humble myself before it. I'm getting ahead of myself. So the world, he came into the world and the world knew him not. But, you know, there was a group of people that had a very special relationship with God. Romans 3 tells us that this group, known as the Jews, had been committed the oracles of God. God had given them his word. The entire culture of the Jewish people was built around the commands that God himself had given to them on the mount through Moses. Surely, when the light entered into the world, his own would know him. Surely, though the dark world around them, we might expect he would come and they would know him not. Not that they could not know him, but that when they received the light of creation and the light in their conscience, they covered their eyes from that light. So when the true light entered, their eyes were covered. They were in darkness. They were veiled. So they would not know him. But the Jews... The Jews were his chosen people. Surely they would know him. Yes, they did know him. All throughout the book of John, what we're going to find out is that the Jews knew him. But there was another problem. They didn't want him. They knew him, but they did not want him. Look at verse 11. He came unto his own. Those were his own people. He was born a Jew. He came unto his own people. And his own received him not. When the light shone upon those who called themselves God's servant, what it revealed to them is their hypocrisy, their pride, their false piety. They wanted everyone to think of them as good people. They wanted everyone to see them as godly. They didn't want to admit that they were sinners. They didn't want to admit that they were as bad as the world around them. They thought that they could please God through their own efforts. They thought that their knowledge of the Bible could earn them some merit with God. And their material sacrifices would bring them close to God. But God came into the world. And God wasn't quite what they wanted him to be. See, they had made their own version of God. And so when God came and revealed the true light, they rejected him. Because his light showed them that they were not good people. The light of the word showed this people that they were sinners. Perhaps you are sitting here today and you are like those Jews. You know, we in this room have all heard the word of God. We have all spent years learning of the word of God. Maybe you have lived your life and because you go to church, because you regularly memorize Bible verses, you think you're a good person. Maybe your religious acts are not driven by belief, but maybe they're driven by a pride that says, I don't want people to think of me as a sinner, therefore I'm going to prop myself up in uh, good works. Maybe you want people to think that you are religious, but inside you've never accepted the gospel and believed it for yourself, believed on Jesus Christ for salvation. While this circumstance is a danger that we might face in our own hearts, as the gospel of John unfolds, we'll see very clearly that the state of most of the world, either secular or religious, perhaps 
in this room, but certainly the majority of the world in which we live, secular and religious, is in this state of darkness. But what we learn as well from this passage of Scripture, we've learned that all men have received the light. No man is without excuse. We've learned that the problem is not so much that we don't know or see the light, but that we don't want to submit to the light. We know the truth of God's word, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We know that we're sinners. We understand that the penalty for sin is hell, is eternal separation from God. But we're not willing to humble ourselves before God to have that change of mind about our sin, about God, and to accept the gospel that God has provided. But what we also learn from this passage in verse 13 is that it doesn't need to be this way. The world lies in unbelief. We'll step out of the doors of this church building tonight. We'll walk home or drive home. We'll pass houses. We'll pass no less than three churches or two church buildings, three church meeting places, four if you count this one being double, double used. We'll drive home and pass 10 denominations, 11 denominations, 12 denominations. We'll pull into our neighborhoods or walk into our neighborhoods, see houses all around us. The vast majority of all those people that you will pass this evening and that I will pass tomorrow in the airport as I leave and that... Brady and Peyton and Courtney passed on the road. The vast majority of them have refused whatever degree of light they have been given. The vast majority of them are on their way to a sinner's hell. And what 13 tells us, excuse me, verse 12 tells us is that it doesn't need to be that way. No man must reject God. No man must live in unbelief. No one in this room, no one in this city, no one in this nation, no one in this world is condemned to hell without remedy. But that remedy requires something that most in this world are simply unwilling to do. Humility. Humbling themselves before God. And so third, this evening, we saw that God has revealed himself to all men. We saw that men reject God's revelation of pride. Third and finally this evening in verses 12 and 13, look with me at the third point. The humble man will receive God's revelation and be born of God or woman or child. The humble will receive God's revelation and be born of God. Verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, 
even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The humble man will receive God's revelation and be born of God. Think about that statement with me for a moment. Consider the implications of what you know of man's sinfulness. You and I were born dead in our trespasses and sins. If you are not a believer in this room, if you have never been saved, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. Because of our sin, a righteous God has condemned us to an eternity in hell. But in grace and in love, God sent the Word, Jesus Christ, into this world as the physical manifestation of God, literally God in human form. He reached out to mankind in a gesture of love to snatch him out of the grip of hell, out of the grip of sin, and the punishment that was placed upon us justly for our sin and has placed it on Jesus Christ. And that payment is applied to all who would receive him, to all who would believe. This morning we sang a song and heard that, um, that musical ministry of speaking of Jesus Christ being crushed by God. I mentioned it this morning. God allowed the weight of the world's sin to fall upon Jesus Christ for us. So here's the scenario. The Word came into the world and the world didn't know Him. The Word came into His own and His own did not receive Him. But there were some of His own that did receive Him. There were some in this world who did know and receive Him. So what was it in them then that made them the sons of God? It's kind of a trick question because the answer is nothing. There was nothing inside them that made them the sons of God. See, this is where a lot of people get hung up. What the passage is teaching us is as many as received him. There is no merit through which a man, a woman, or a child can be born again. As many as receive him. To them are given the power. That word there meaning authority. The authority to become a son of God, to become a child of God, is found in God, not in man. It is Jesus Christ that has the authority, not a man. To receive Christ is to finally confess that there is nothing you can do, nothing you can say, nothing you can pay, nothing you can think that can afford you entrance into the kingdom of God. Only through belief on Jesus Christ, on his person, on his work, on his message, can a person be born of God. And this is what it says in verse 13. This verse is very important, and we need to be sure we understand it properly. Which were born, those who were born of God, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who are born again in the room this evening... When you were born again, it was not a physical birth. It was a spiritual birth. It was not of blood. When you were born again, it was not accomplished by your own efforts. It was not accomplished by the will of the flesh. When you were born again, it was not accomplished by an act of personal determination. 
it was not of the will of man. Now let's get be very clear on what we mean there. There is no reason to read into this statement that man's free will had nothing to do with belief. You can read that verse and say, oh, look, we're not born by the will of man. Man does not have a free will. That is reading into the verse. That is not exegesis. That is eisegesis. That is not me drawing from the text. That is me placing into the text. What the text is saying is that our will had nothing to do with the process of becoming a son of God. Within the context, the man has already made the choice to receive. Do you see that? Do you see that in verse 12? But as many as received him. See, the choice was made. The choice was not, I'm going to become a son of God. You have no authority to make that choice. I have no authority to make the choice to become a son of God. I don't wake up one day and say, Jesus Christ died for my sins. I'm going to become a son of God today. That's God's authority to make us the son of God. It is your responsibility to believe, to receive. And as many as received him, as many who exercised their will to the degree in which they receive Christ, then God takes over. At the moment we exercise our will unto belief, God takes over. The will of the flesh doesn't take over. I don't will myself into heaven. My personal determination doesn't take over. I don't determine that I'm now a son of God. It's God's work. By God's grace. And that is what the line states. Your will in the matter of salvation, ends at your choice to believe or to reject Christ. Following man's choice, it is wholly and completely a transaction performed by God. God is the one that takes the believer and through his faithfulness, we can trust that when we believe, God will do everything he's promised to do. And so God... At the moment we receive the truth of God's word. Makes us a son of God. All of those things that we read about in Ephesians chapter 1. The adoption. That's the whole son of God part. The inheritance uncorruptible. That fadeth not away. Being declared unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. The earnest of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We don't do any of that. God does that. It's your responsibility to receive it. That's the responsibility of man. So, those who are born again, it was not of blood. It was not of the will of the flesh. It was not of the will of man. For those who are not born again in this room, for those of you who know you have never been saved, this verse is even more important for you to understand. Your responsibility before God is to believe. We just said that. On the name of Jesus Christ. To believe that He is God. To believe that He has borne the penalty of your sin. By extension, to believe that you are a sinner. To know that you have sinned. To believe that if you will receive Him, He will save you from your sins. And to believe that what He said about Himself is true. No family tie can get a man, a woman, or a child into heaven. No amount of effort can get a man, a woman, or a child into heaven. No amount of personal determination can ever get a person into heaven. Heaven is a gift to those who are willing to empty themselves of their pride in order to receive the person, the work, and the message of Jesus Christ.
when we read the book of John, we'll find it to be themed around the gospel all throughout this study. When you learn about the gospel, you find that that gospel centers around the redemptive work of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Word, for the sins of the whole world. Yet the more you learn about the sins of the whole world, the more you realize the sin that God came to save you from is the very same sin that desires to keep you from salvation. The pride and the wickedness that God came and Jesus Christ died for on the cross is the pride and the sin and the wickedness that will keep a sinner away from receiving it. Pride is the source of all sin. And humility is the divine means by which one accepts the truth claims of Christ and believes unto eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, so much of the world lives in unbelief. As we sit here and we learn about a world living in unbelief. Two questions for us as we go our separate ways this evening. Are you a believer? Have you ever accepted the truth claims that the gospel teaches? Have you ever received Christ? Are you a son of God? Are you a child of God? We've talked about that. We've talked about the solution. Second question. What are we going to do about an unbelieving world? Verses 12 and 13 explain clearly the reality that it doesn't have to be this way. That the world is not condemned to unbelief without remedy. Are you taking the opportunities that you have to speak to the world about their sin and about their need for salvation? Are you a living testimony of the grace of God unto eternal life? Is the gospel that has rooted itself in our hearts expressing itself in our actions? And through our mouth. Let's close in prayer.